name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. So as you remember, we we had presented a number of topics that were all related to the problem of evil in the world. And uh, we had first explained one way to answer the questions related to the problem of evil in the world. We said that when we look at what we call evil, in a lot of cases it's actually a relative evil. And we did not really explain too much the other answer that is sometimes given, which is that absolute evil does not exist. Things that we usually call or we consider absolute evils are not absolute evils. They're relative evils. And this way of understanding evil usually means that we can... It usually means that we can provide another interpretation, another explanation for what we consider to be evil, and it holds some sort of benefit. And generally speaking, this is the answer that is provided by philosophers. So we can call that the philosophical answer to the problem of evil in the world. And to a certain extent, that does provide a, an okay answer. The Second way to answer this question the, the second way to answer this question So besides the philosophical way of answering this question we said that there is a, a more religious way of answering it and this one relies more on the scripture relies more on the Qur'an and the hadith. And this one tries to give a more detailed way of answering the problem, why are there evils in the world? And to answer the question in this manner, what we try to do is to provide a number of premises so that we don't spend too long in this topic. We said there are a few things, a few notions, a few ideas that we have to take for granted. We're not going to explain each and every one of them. The most important ones we have already explained in previous lessons. So the nature of God, the traits of God, we talked about those, and now we're trying to build on them. The other principles that we talked about, we call them rules, and the ones that we have not really explained, we leave them for another time. They fall more under you know, general notions in philosophy and a specific type of philosophy usually called the philosophy of law or moral rights or moral philosophy or ethics. Okay, so in that world, we would study all of these. That said, generally speaking, human beings all agree on these principles. So someone may come and try to disagree about them or try to deconstruct it to see why is it really that intuitively we think that you know, harming someone to reestablish justice is okay, but generally speaking, all human beings are okay with that. They, they understand it and they intuitively agree with it. The difference is, how do you rationalize it? How do you justify it and provide an explanation that still makes sense? So, 
We said God does not do any moral wrong, and we explained why, and we're going to be using that. We said that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of the world, there is no right upon him. So if you're a creature, you cannot have a right over your creator. And we, I think we explained that enough, and we gave the example of you creating something in your mind. That thing cannot have a right over you as its creator. And even with that example, we said that it does not fully represent the manner in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has absolute ownership over other things. Human beings are not able to create from scratch. What human beings do is to put things together that already exist in one way or another. They manipulate them and create something out of them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates in philosophy, they say, ex nihilo, so out of nothing or from scratch. Okay, so that's a, a different way of creation. Anyways, and then we said every agent, every... Salaamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Salaamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. So every agent is responsible for their own action. Okay, and we spent a little bit of time on that. Salaamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. So we're not going to spend more time on that. And then we said it was important to distinguish between this notion of evil. Do we mean by it a moral wrong, which is usually an injustice, unjust action, morally wrong, and something that is harmful? So something may be morally wrong, but not harmful, and something may be harmful, but not morally wrong. And usually when people talk about the problem of evil in the world, they confuse the two or mix them up together as though they are one. So we said we're going to distinguish clearly. There are things that are maybe one or the other. Let's not lump everything together as though it's all one type of action or one type of evil. Okay, These are two different types of evil. And then we talked about once we understand this, then we say if you punish someone, which means there is harm, but you're trying to reestablish justice with that. So in other words, there are situations where harm is not a moral wrong. That was one rule. Another rule was that if it's done to reestablish justice or for retribution, so in reward, as a reward, so someone does something and their reward for it, reward in the negative sense, their reward for it is that they are punished. That retribution or that compensation for something wrong with a harm there's no wrong with that. This is not a moral wrong. And then the seventh rule was that if someone is harmed to benefit someone else, then it would be good to reward them because someone else is benefiting. So any human being who would see that would say it would be good if something came along and reestablished the, the neutral. Alaykum uh, as-salam wa rahmatullah. So an entity owns something, owns a right, whatever that right may be, and now a part of that right has gone to something else, to, as a benefit to something else. So it's good to reward the victim, to reward the one that has lost something, to reestablish the justice. And then we spent a lot of time, and in fact we, a lot more time than I thought initially we would, but I thought the, the topic deserved a, a good explanation, this topic of test and tribulation. And we spent a lot of time on that to show that, first of all, there are things in this world, there are uh, outcomes, there are results that can only be achieved through certain harms. And tests and tribulations are, by definition, harmful, but they allow you to reach a benefit. 
and we distinguish between a benefit that is just a benefit and a benefit that is a reward. So a reward cannot be except with, uh, you know, there's a social dimension, there's a, uh, a dimension with pride. As a, uh, The reward always comes for an accomplishment. It's not a neutral thing. You don't receive the benefit without nothing. Right? So if the benefit is received because there is a struggle, because there is an effort, because there is an accomplishment, then that's considered a reward. Otherwise, it's just a benefit. Okay? And we said that the ultimate, and this is where we went into the entire idea of test, tribulation, difficulties in this world. We spent a lot of time on it. And we said, as we go through these, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the reason why human beings were created is that they would be tested. And the test ultimately is supposed to look like it's an act of worship. We have to remain in a state of worship at all times. So worship obviously is not limited to the acts, the ritual acts. So prayer and fasting and reading Qur'an, those are acts of worship. But in this case, if we really understand what the Qur'an is saying, when it says worship, it doesn't mean just those acts, the ritual acts of worship. It means being in a state where you remember God at all times. We remember that you are a servant to a creator. Okay, that's the purpose. That's the ultimate purpose of your creation. The more you are in that state, the more you are accomplishing the purpose for your creation. That's the ultimate test. Everything drills down to that. But then the way it shows up in our lives, the way it manifests itself, is in everything we see and everything we experience. So this could be in money, in health, in possessions, in relationships, in reputation, everything that can become something beneficial or harmful in our lives. And we went through the verses of the Qur'an to see how this comes up in our lives, which is basically in every possible way that we can imagine. And then we added to that that in the majority of cases, human beings view difficulties, things that of which they are deprived, they view those as being the test. For instance, I've been deprived of my health. I've been deprived of, my, of money that I'd like to get. I've put in an amount of money for, in a business and I have lost it. So usually human beings only look at those negative situations, those situations where I'm not getting what I want, as being the tests, as being the difficulties. And we spent a little bit of time explaining that in fact, the Qur'an says it's all a test, the good and the bad. Those are tests, those are difficulties, but there are things that are easy and they are positive. They are the things that you want. They are the things that you desire and you actually get them. Those are tests too. Getting it is a test and not getting it is a test. So someone who is fooled by it, you've missed the point. If you think that there's no test going on because you wanted the money and you got it. You wanted the health and you got it. You wanted the reputation, you got it. You think that there's no test in that, you get distracted. So you've missed the point. The point is that both of these are equally a test. If you don't get it, that's a test. So you remember, you're just going through a test. So the point is not getting it or not getting it. The point is, how are you going to act? Are you going to remember the purpose for which you were created? Or are you going to be distracted by what you're going through? So if it's good, 
You know, you, you completely lose sight of the objective and you say things are good and you're distracted by what's good in life. And if it's bad, now you're distracted by what's bad and difficult in life. You're not supposed to be distracted by these. You're supposed to go through these knowing, being fully conscious, being fully aware that they are both a test. Don't lose sight of the purpose. Don't lose sight of the objective. Okay? So I'm not going through the, the, all the, the verses of the Qur'an, but I think we, we gave enough of them to make all of that clear. We also emphasize the notion of freedom. We said that for all of this to work, human beings have to be given the ability to do good and not to do good. If I choose to do bad, I have to be able to act on my choice, even if it's a really bad choice. Even if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not do that, that is a moral wrong, that's where we distinguish. It's a moral wrong, but I'm going to be allowing you to do it. I'm going to give you the power to do it, but you're not supposed to. Okay? If there is anything that limits that freedom of choice, then it's not really a freedom of choice. And the point is to have the freedom of choice to see what you're going to do. So being given the power, that's the point of your existence. Right? If we're saying the point was to be in a state of worship, how it shows up is on your side. How it shows up is how are you using your freedom? Are you freely choosing to be in a state of worship when you can choose not to be? And anything that limits that means you're not being given the full ability to act freely. Okay? So the test, the test is in everything, and the moment we say there's something that is a test, it means that it's difficult, and you have to go through a hardship and a difficulty, and this allows you to get to the reward. Um, I think we explained all of this. And then quickly we said there's a few points that we wanted to mention. The first point is we have to remember that it's in ease and in difficulty. That was one. I think we just explained it. So we're not going to explain it again. The second point is that it touches everyone. Sometimes human beings think that because I have become good, I am now a mu'min, I am now a believer, I have a strong faith, I'm doing everything Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks of me to do, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm reading Quran, I'm doing no harm, I'm doing no haram. Everything should be easy and everything should be good, right? No. This is where we said the tests and the tribulations touch everyone, include everyone. It's not because you have become good that suddenly you're not going to be tested. In fact, it's the opposite. The more you have faith, the more your belief is valid and strong, the more you do good, the more tests are going to be sent your way. Because it means that you can handle a lot more. And if that were not the case, then you're never going to reach your full potential. So if you can reach a certain level, how do you reach it? You only reach it through tests, through passing another test. And we give an example. Imagine someone who is at work. You work somewhere and you see others having more responsibility than you. You get a promotion, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. How do you get a promotion? How do you go up the ranks? How do you make more money? The only way to go up the rank is to what? 
is to be given more responsibility. So it's true that I, you are going to ask for more money, but to get more money, you need to accept more responsibility. Let's see how you're going to handle the next project. If you handle it well, you deserve. It's the same thing here. For some, it's not, it's too cheap and it's too easy to say, I have more faith, I've done more good. Okay, you have to go through it first. You have to go through the difficulty, through the challenge to see how you're going to handle yourself. And if you're not put in those situations, then this is the case of someone at work who says, I'm very competent, trust me, I, I'm as good as the others. We have to give you the project, we have to give you the test, and then we'll see how you handle yourself versus someone else. And if you're not given that, then you're going to complain and you're going to say, well, you haven't given me the opportunity to show. If you don't give me the, ch the, the chance to show how good I am, then how am I supposed to show you that I'm as good as someone else? The same situation here. So someone who has more faith or someone who has more good actions, they should be able to handle a lot more because of their faith and because of those actions. They should have the patience, they should have the type of belief or the belief system that should allow them to handle more difficulty. But if they don't actually deal with that difficulty, they don't go up in rank. They stay at that level, they just get a bit more rewards, but they do not get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So a few verses here. There's a verse that says, وَلَوْ يَشَاءُ اللَّهُ لَنْتَصَرَ مِنْهُمْ وَلَكِنْ لِيَبْلُوَ بَعْضَكُمْ بِبَعْضٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and had Allah wished, so this is in a situation of war, and had Allah wished, He could have taken vengeance on them, but that He may test some of you by means of others. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I've created the human society in a way where everybody is being tested by everybody all the time. So it's not because you're faithful and you have belief that you're now the exception and the test is not going to involve you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the believers here because a lot of them don't want to get in that situation of conflict. He's telling them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have done it without you. He could have created means where you don't have to get into that situation. They've committed an injustice against you. He could take vengeance on them himself. But that's not the way Allah subhanahu wa has created this world. You are both being tested by one another. They are a test for you and you are a test for them. That's the purpose. That's the way it's created. That's one. In another verse, Am hasibtum an jannah? Do you suppose that you shall enter paradise, though there has not yet come to you the like of what befell those who went before you? So this is where we see that this is a trend. This is a, a universal law in society. Stress and distress befell them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the believers who are with the Prophet, He's telling them about previous nations. He tells them those who were before you, they had to go through all sorts of difficulties. Stress and distress befell them. And they were shaken until the messengers and the believers who were with them said, When will Allah's help come? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling them they were tested to the point, they were shaken to the point where they started to pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enough with the tribulation, enough with the difficulty, we want your victory. Which is a very big thing here, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, even the messengers reach that point. Okay? Which, it's basically telling the believers, it's not because you think that you've suddenly become believers, that you're not going to be tested. 
the tests are going to include you and it's going to include, include the prophets and the messengers. And it's going, and the more you are of a believer, the more you're going to be tested. The next verse says, when they came at you, so this is in Surah Al-Ahzab. In Surah Al-Ahzab, it talks about a, a number of things that happened. One of them was, and inshallah one day we'll get into the details of it, but Harb al-Khandaq or Ma'arakat al-Khandaq, the battle of the Khandaq, where there was a trench. Salman, the companion of the Holy Prophet, told him that maybe this is the best way to do it, so let's dig a trench, let's fill it with fire so that we protect ourselves. And the hypocrites, the munafiqeen who were with the Prophet started to spread rumors and say we're going to lose this war because al-Ahzab, so those who allied against Rasul and his people, they came from all the sides of al-Madin al-Munawwara. They wanted to attack from all sides. And it was starting to look like most likely they had they were going to lose. There's no way for them to win this. Okay, so this is a long battle, and, and there were other battles that were related to this, or Surah Al-Hazab talks about this. So at some point it says, when they came at you from above and below you. So in other words, they came from the east and the west and the south. And when the eyes rolled with fear and the hearts leapt to the throats. So the Quran is using here a very, uh, you know, imaged language to show how difficult the situation had become how difficult it was starting to look for them to become victorious, and you began to think vain thoughts about Allah. That is where the believers were tested and jolted or shaken with a severe agitation. So here, very clearly, the Qur'an is saying this is the believers. The Qur'an doesn't say it's those who have a weak faith. Those who are, The believers are being tested to the point where they are really fearful. They're not sure what's going to happen next. So in all of these, and many, many others, we see the Qur'an when it talks about difficulties. This is where the additional layer of meaning is added. If you're just going through the difficulty in life, and you say, this is difficult, I don't know if I'm going to handle this or not, it just stops there. But the Qur'an always comes back and says, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who's creating this situation to test you. This adds a layer of meaning to you as a believer. And that layer of meaning changes everything. It's no longer just a random event, a difficulty you're going through that has no meaning. I may win, and I may lose and get killed in the battle, and that's the end of that. No more meaning to it. What a depressing life. Right? There's difficulties, there's all these challenges that I have to go through, life is so difficult and that it is what it is and that's it. Or you add a layer of meaning and you say there are difficulties, no one is going to deny that, but there's a meaning for these difficulties. You're supposed to handle yourself in a certain way and if you do, you're going to get rewarded. So there's a purpose behind these difficulties, there's a meaning. So this allows you to be strong as you go through it, and it motivates you to handle yourself in the right way as you go through it. There's nothing depressing here. It's a challenge. Bring it on. It's one more opportunity to show what you're made of, how high you can go. And then when we added the rest of the rules, and inshallah we'll, we'll go through the, the applications today, the meaning that you get from this, if you keep in mind that 
It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's doing it to give you a chance to get the highest reward you can get. It's customized to you. There's never going to be a challenge that you cannot handle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to send your way. He will always send something that you can handle. Then, when you put all of this together, there's no issue with the test. If you actually believe in those rules, if you actually believe in that system. And this is, we've talked about this a few times. This is an important point. Everybody who talks today as a very popular topic, the whole theme or the whole topic of mental health and the anxiousness and the anxiety, the stress, the depression, the, you know, life without purpose. What are you supposed to do with all of this? Well, this is the key. The, the reason why people struggle with this is because there is no meaning. Every act that you do, every effort you're putting in, if there's meaning behind it, you're willing to do it. It means something for you. But if it doesn't, if it's just random and you're just going through the motions, imagine, a, I don't know, a ball or something just going through the waves of the water and through falls. And if this is how you view life, it's just, you know, material, random laws impacting and you're just going through the motions, then there is no meaning to it. And yes, it is depressing and it will create a lot of anxiety and it create a lot of stress and people are always wondering why why should i do the right thing why should i take the you know the harder road why you have someone in your family who takes who requires more time and more effort and more attention and more money for instance you know what the right thing is to do but at some point it can get very difficult as an example why what makes you make the right choice? If there is no meaning behind it, there's nothing that motivates you towards that. So you're always going to resort to the more individualistic solution. And you're going to try to make your life whatever is easier, whatever is more pleasurable, whatever is more desirable, that's the right. That becomes the right. And this is what we notice in these societies now that have gone completely on the more individualistic side. It's, it's the logical evolution of this thinking. Because the meaning is disappearing. There is no meaning. So if there's no meaning, might as well enjoy every moment. And that's it. There's no meaning, which means there's also no meaning for struggle and difficulty and punishment. And there's no meaning to any of this. Anyways. Then last point, or... Maybe the one before. The point was, and I don't. I think it's easy enough. But let's go through a few verses that no one is getting more than they can handle. So I think some of the verses of the Quran are very clear. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala does not make anything, you know, a responsibility. Does not make a self or a soul accountable more than it can handle. No one is going to be given more than they can handle. So that part should be clear enough. Another verse says, so this, keep this topic in mind, keep this theme in mind, that no one is being tested with more than they can handle. And we're going to look at a few verses that maybe you have not looked at from this angle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوْ بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ لِعِبَادِهِ لَبَغَوْ فِي الْأَرْضِ were Allah to expand. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, is there an exception to that? Because 
there's a verse that says, uh, That's actually the same verse. And I didn't read it entirely, but the same verse is, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. And this is something, you know, beautiful in the verses of the Qur'an that they usually answer the questions in the verse or the one before or the one after or the same verse. Anything you can think of, it's there. You just have to read it carefully. So the verse actually says, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. Okay. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not make any soul accountable for more than it can handle. لَهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ وَعَلَيْهَا مَكْتَسَبَتْ so here, there's already the conditions, the details of that general rule. It gave you the principle. No one is going to be given more than they can handle. Okay? So what does that mean about responsibility? So here the Qur'an comes and makes it very precise. It says, whatever good it earns is to its own benefit. And whatever bad it earns or it incurs, it's to its own harm. So now it's establishing justice. So... First part says, everyone is only going to be given what they can handle. Second part here says, all the good that you do is going to come back to you. And all the bad that you do is going to come back to you. So there cannot be more justice than this, right? That's it. You do good to the same amount that you did good, that's what you get. The same good comes back to you. The same bad comes back to you. Okay. Next, our Lord, take us not to task if we forget or make mistakes. So now that we recognize that it's going to be this type of justice, here's where the prayer starts. So the Quran is teaching us how to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now we understand the principle. The principle is you do good to the same amount you're going to get. You do bad to the same amount you're going to get back. So if that's the case, then who amongst us can safely say, I've done more good than bad? And who amongst us can say, I've done no bad? Because all the bad, according to this principle, you do bad, you get it. Here, nothing is saying, and if you do good, then it's going to erase the bad. The good that you did, you're going to get. But the bad that you did, you're also going to get. If that's the case, then what guarantees that I have done more good than bad? And what is going to save me from the bad that I've done? Because the bad is still there. If I understand how just this is. This is true justice. So here's the, where the prayer comes in. You add that layer. رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِنْ نَسِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا So here we pray. Our Lord, do not take us to charge. So do not make us accountable. Do not make us responsible if we have forgotten or made a mistake. So I understand that I'm responsible for all of the bad I do, but don't hold me accountable if I make a mistake, it's an accident, I'm weak, I forget. Don't hold me accountable for that. Make me accountable if I'm, you know, stubbornly disobeying you, knowing in that moment that I'm disobeying you, as though you are challenging God. So here say, when I am disobeying you, I'm not challenging you. It's a weakness. It's out of forgetfulness. I'm not in my, the right mind. I'm not in the right state. So don't hold me accountable for that. It's my moment of weakness. Right? So that's the first part. 
رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِبْنَا إِنْ نَسِيْنَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا Then it continues رَبَّنَا وَلَا تُحَمِّلْنَا Our Lord uh, I don't want to forget I was going to skip one part Our Lord do not place upon us a burden as you placed upon those who were before us لا تحمل uh, تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا What is this burden? Does it mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala imposed something, a burden that those who were before us could not handle? Okay, here we have to add a detail. The rule is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said from the beginning of the verse, لا يكلف الله نفساً إلا وسعها Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never going to impose something on someone that they cannot handle. So what's this burden that we're talking about that we're asking God not to place on us? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can certainly make things more difficult on you. While you can still handle it, He can make things easier and He can make things harder. And both are within what you can handle. And of course, if, he th if He's making things harder on you, of course there's more chances of failure. And in certain cases, and this, is, this requires a good understanding of the Qur'an, inshallah we're going to talk quickly about it today. In a lot of cases, this difficulty that we encounter in, in our lives, as individuals and as societies, is a result of our own wrongdoing. So we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to burden us with the wrongdoings that we have committed in this life that make our life even more difficult. Can we handle it? Theoretically, in Allah's knowledge, He knows we can handle it, but it's making our lives more difficult. And we're asking Allah not to put us like in the same situation as the one that, were, that was put upon the nations who were before us, who kept failing in the tests because the situation got so difficult for them. They should have handled it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you the general principle. He never gave them more than they can handle. But every time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them a rule, gave them a law, they disobeyed. And we have verses in the Quran that says clearly, very openly, the more they made things difficult, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the laws of his religion to them more difficult. Because they, that's what they deserved. It's like a, I don't know, a, a child or someone who's, who starts to behave in the wrong way. You want to give them freedom. You want to tell them I'm going to rely on you. And I'm going to rely on your good judgment. You're going to, you should be able to handle things on your own. But the more they, you see that you give them freedom and you give them flexibility, the more they're ruining their life. Now you start putting restrictions in place. So this is what happened to previous nations. But those restrictions are burdens. Because in the case of Allah, if you break those laws, you're going to hell. They imposed on themselves those restrictions. So they become burdens. The good thing about, about these, so that no one turns this into an evil that God imposed on them, the burden actually includes within it something good for them. Because if they pass the test, they also get a reward. And this is what we meant when we said even, and this is a very important point, this was the last point, 
is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the situation more difficult on you, whether it was out of your own behavior or not, let's say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punished you in this life for something you did. So now your situation is more difficult. Does it mean that you're less responsible? No, you're as responsible. Even though your situation became more difficult. And when it became more difficult and you handled yourself properly, this is the included positive in it, don't look at it from the negative and say, my situation is more difficult. Look at it from the positive and say, I have more chances of attaining a higher rank and a higher status and getting more reward. So while the previous nations, we recognize that they were given this as a result of their own disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all the difficulties that they created for their prophets, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala burdened them with all sorts of laws and legislations that were imposed on them as a result of their own behavior, which made their own lives more difficult, this still allowed them to reach higher status, a higher status had they chosen to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they didn't. So we're telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't put us in that situation. Do not burden us Isran kama hamaltahu Don't put us in that situation. We're too weak. We're probably not going to be able to handle it. They were not able to handle it. So keep it easier for us. Okay? So this is the prayer. And then we say, Our Lord, lay not upon us what we have no strength to bear. That's the same thing. So again, we're not, the verse, the principle remains the same. This is not saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever going to impose on us what we cannot handle. This is linked to what we just said before. Don't put us in a situation where it becomes so difficult for us that we have a lot more chances of failing and we will most likely fail. Okay? And excuse us and forgive us and be merciful to us. You are our master. This is the last verse of Surah Al-Baqarah, by the way, if you want to go back and read it. The next verse, as we said, there's a few verses that maybe you haven't looked at in this way before. So one verse in Surah Al-Ahzab 27, it says, were Allah to expand the provisions for His servants. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to give a lot more rizq, a lot more ni'mah and benefits to everyone, they would surely create havoc on the earth. But He sends down in a precise measure whatever He wishes. Indeed, He is all aware, all seeing. So here the principle we're talking about is no one can handle more. So these are the verses. So one of them, as we said, Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, if Allah were to give all, everything that people desire, everything that you want, if everybody got everything that they wanted, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the majority of the people would only cause havoc and corruption on the earth. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that if He gave all of these to the people, they cannot handle it. This is the principle. So this is another way of looking at it. The reason why you're not being given everything you want is because you're going to do sins with it. You're going to do havoc and corruption. لَوْ بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ لِعِبَادِهِ If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them all the sustenance that they want, they would transgress. They would go beyond the red lines. They would go beyond the rights. 
They would not use it properly. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so I give them with a very precise measure. There's qadr. There's taqdeer. There's a very precise measure. Everybody is getting only what they can handle and nothing more because they will only create havoc with that. Okay? Another verse. So this is in Surah Al-Zukhruf, verses 33 to 35. Were it not for the... Were it not, let's say, for the danger that humankind would become one community, we would have surely made those who defy... I'm going to explain it in a second, but just stay with me for the verse. Were it not for the danger that humankind would become one community... We would surely have made those who defy the all-beneficent, Rahman, silver roofs. I'm going to explain it, okay? We would give to those who defy Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the all-beneficent, Rahman, who, who defy Rahman, لِبُيُوتِهِمْ سُقُفًا We would make the roofs of their house made of silver, and silver doors for their houses, and silver couches on which they recline and ornaments of gold. Yet all that would be nothing but the enjoyments of this world, and the hereafter near your Lord is for the ones who fear God. What's the verse saying here? It's saying, if it were not for the fact, were it not for the fact that everybody would become one nation, one community, and the verse is not saying of what, one community of disbelievers, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have granted the disbelievers and those who defy him in this world right now, he would have given them all those things. So what's the verse really saying? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, today we live in a world where people look at the material things that people have. You are not getting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling human beings, you're not getting the point that these are all tests. And that when you're getting something that looks desirable and good, that's just a test. And that's why the verse says, yet all of that is nothing but the enjoyments of this world. Right? So it's saying this is all meaningless. But humankind, all of humankind, is so attached to these things, that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to, He would have given those who defy Him these kinds of provisions and this kind of sustenance and made their lives so beautiful. But the problem is everybody would disbelieve in Allah because that's what they would want to. If every disbeliever that you saw and everybody who defied Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, everybody who defies Him, you look at their house and it looks like it's a castle made of gold and silver. That's what the verse is saying. If you looked at them and you saw that their lives were so beautiful and so easy and so luxurious and comfortable, then everybody would end up not believing in God because they would want that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that's the reason why I'm not giving everybody this because that's what it would end up being. And this is also meaningless, but no one is getting it. Okay, so now I'm going to reread the verse and see how it's said. Were it not for the danger that humankind would become one community of disbelievers, we would have surely made those who defy the all-beneficent, 
We would have surely made those who defy the all-beneficent silver roofs for their houses and silver stairways, stairways by which they ascend, and silver doors for their houses and silver couches on which they reclined, and ornaments of gold. Yet all that would be nothing but the enjoyments of this world, and the hereafter near your Lord is for the one who fears God. Okay? So this is, again, when someone says, why am I not getting more as a person? Or why do we not get more as a community or as a society? This is part of the answer. And it comes back to the point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not give you more than you can handle. Okay? And we have a number of narrations. One of them, Imam Sadiq salam was asked, who are the people who are the most tested in this world? And he said the same question was asked to the Holy Prophet. And the Holy Prophet answered that the ones who are the most tested in this world are the prophets and those who are the most like them in order. So the more you are like prophets, the more you're going to be tested. So in other words, this refutes the idea that I think a lot of people have intuitively that if I become good, then suddenly my life is easy. If I become good, things should go easily. Should think things should go well. It's the opposite. There's a test, and a test that comes at that level for you. And it will only allow you to reach the higher level, a higher rank, more proximity to Allah by going through that test. Otherwise, what's the difference between you and the others? And inshallah, one day we'll have a chance to talk about prophethood and the highest of the prophets, the messengers, and how they reach those levels. And they reach those levels through tests. That's why the Qur'an talks about the story of Yusuf salam, the story of Ibrahim salam, Musa. These were difficult tests. And the Qur'an tells only really those parts to make us understand how they reach the higher levels. You want what they get? You want to be like them? You have to be willing to go through those types of tests. I'm going to skip the rest of the, the, the hadith here. And the last point, as I said, we've already explained. So now I'm going to go through the applications. The last point was simply to say that even when it's punishment or difficulty, that you're still accountable and you're still responsible. Okay? Now the applications. The applications is we're going to put all of this into some sort of logical tree. And maybe next time we'll try to bring it as a a, log a logical tree. If none of you guys create it, I'll try to create one. From the beginning we said, all the evils, when we say evil, evil has two meanings. One meaning is something that is morally wrong. And the second meaning is something that is harmful. So now let's look at the things that are considered morally wrong. Evil as moral wrong, based on all the rules, all the axioms, and all the explanations that we've been given for three weeks, four weeks. When we look at a, an act that looks like it contains a moral wrong, either it is done by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, here are the two logical possibilities, Either it is done by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not. Because it's a moral wrong, it needs an agent. It needs someone who does it. 
So either it's done by Allah or it's done by another entity. Based on everything we said, it cannot be Allah. Okay, we're going to come to the harm in the second half. The first half is let's look at the moral wrongs. When we look at a moral wrong, either it's done, whatever moral wrong we see in the world, either it's done by Allah or done by another entity. Right away we disqualify, we say the first alternative is impossible. It cannot be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will never do a moral wrong. So we are left with a second alternative, which is done by another entity. Okay. For that entity to be able to do a moral wrong, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must have given it the power to do so. So we have to explain the power given to an entity to do moral wrong. So based on the principles and the rules that we have given, what do we say? Point number one. We agree that the power given to an agent to do a moral wrong was given by Allah. No problem with that. The power in itself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given it and it can be used for good or evil. So it's not because I was given the power to do evil that I must do evil. I could have done good with it. Okay? That's two. The second point. The third point. And we have been given, as human beings, we have been given every reason to choose the right and not to choose the wrong. So we've been given reason. So we recognize good and bad. We recognize good and evil. We, apart from reason, intuitively we know, this is another argument, intuitively human beings know what is just and unjust. A third reason, there is a religion with a legislation that was given to human beings to say this is good and this is bad. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, obey me this way, do not disobey me that way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, in addition to all of this created, and that was your question from last week, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created heaven and hell and told us about it. So you should have reasons to fear doing the wrong and you should have reasons to want to do the right because there is a heaven and hell. Besides all of the points that you recognize it through rationally, you recognize it morally and intuitively or naturally and you know it. So you should do it just because it is the right and you should avoid it just because it is the wrong. And on top of it, you know that there's a God who has told you to do the right and not to do the wrong. But on top of all of that, which let's call them theoretical reasons, there's actually feeling the good and feeling the bad. Feeling the pain and the pleasure. So if all of that is not sufficient, then at least this should be. So when you put it all together, yes, power to do the moral wrong was given by God. That power in itself does not automatically say that you should do moral wrong with it. And in fact, everything around that power should lead you to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. And that's why we have in our ahadith, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells, tells in al-hadith al-Qudsi where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the human being, He tells him, أَنَا أَوْلَى بِحَسَنَاتِكَ مِنْكِ I am more responsible or I am more worthy or deserving of your hasanat from you than you are of your own hasanat. Because I've given you every chance to do, the, to, to do it. 
Like really, what merit do you have for doing that? وَأَنْتَ أَوْلَى بِسَيِّئَاتِكَ مِنِّي I haven't put you in a situation that should lead you to do the wrong. And you still did the wrong. So don't ask me why did you put me in that situation. Hold yourself accountable. You're the one who freely chose that. Okay? So this is if we're looking at the power that allows the person to do. So is there power? Yes, there is power to do moral wrong. Is it from the person? No, it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The power itself should not lead you to do the wrong. So if you choose to do the wrong, that's yourself. Now if we link it to the other rules, we say the power is related to the freedom of choice. And that was the entire purpose of your creation. So why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you the power? It's to see what you're going to do with it. It's to test you with it. Which is the purpose of your creation. And the test, as we said, is the only way to get to the reward. And the test is good. So that's the problem of the moral wrong. Okay, I know this requires a lengthy explanation and a lot of examples, but that's the problem of the moral wrong and that's how it's resolved. Okay, so that's one half of the problem. The second half of the problem is what? The second half of the problem is, and it's related to this, this, this is the easier part. The part that is more theoretical. The part that is more practical to people's lives is evil as harm. This is where it's a little bit more tricky for people and a little bit more real to their lives. Because a moral wrong, people can argue, and it's like a philosophical discussion. This is a moral wrong, it's an injustice. But injustice is not implying, so it's in theory. It's not implying that there was a harm. Now we're going to talk about the harm. So when we say that there's something that happened in the world that we want to consider evil. Not evil in the sense of an unjust act. Not evil in the sense of a moral wrong. Evil in the sense of a harmful act. Something that harms someone. First questions first. Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala harm? Can we say that there is evil in the world done by God that is harmful? We have to solve that question first. Short answer, yes. Very clearly, many verses of the Quran, many ahadith, very clearly there is harm. And that's why we distinguish between something that is morally wrong and something that is harmful. Something that is harmful can still be good. Something that is harmful can still be justified, can still be desirable. It reestablishes justice and so on and so forth. We gave the examples. So first question, is it possible for evil to be attributed to God? Yes, if we mean by it harm. That's the first thing. So when we say there is evil in the world and therefore there cannot be a God, we cannot as an answer just say there is no evil in the world, end of story. Which evil are we talking about? Moral evil? As in moral wrong? Yeah, we explained how that is. It's not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who does it. We have to put the responsibility on the agent, but we have to explain why did Allah give the power to the agent to do the moral wrong? And we explained that. 
We said this is a freedom of choice to be tested, to get to the reward or to the punishment. Now, when I was given the power to do the wrong, the injustice, I haven't talked about the harm yet. I'm going to talk about the harm now. So as a human being, let's say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me the power to do the moral wrong. And I said I should not have any reason to do it, but I still did it. So there's a, a reward and a punishment that comes to me. Okay, but what about the other people, all the victims of my moral wrong? What happens to that? We're going to address that in the, in the second part, in the second half, when we talk about the harms of the world. Okay? So, I don't know if that's clear or not. Sometimes, the, the wrong that we see, the evil that we see in the world is both morally wrong and harmful. In those cases, when I look at the moral wrong that was done, I explained the moral wrong part. But there's a harm part. I'm harming another human being. How do I explain that? This is what we're going to explain in the second half, where we are not forgetting that. Okay? Now we're going to start the second part. Is there evil in the world in the sense, in the meaning of harm? Yes, there is. Can we say that God is responsible for the harm? Yes, we can. So there are two types of harms in the world. Those that I can attribute directly to God, and those that I have to attribute to another agent who is doing the harm. Just like we did with the wrong, the moral wrong. I said either it's God doing it or not. In the case of the moral wrong, I can't attribute it to God. God is not the type of entity that does moral wrong. Because there's nothing that would make him do moral wrong. He doesn't ignore, he has the knowledge, he has the power, and he has the will in an absolute sense. This is, we spent a lot of time on this when we talked about the, the necessary being and the traits, the sifat that come out of the necessary being. When you put all of that together, it's impossible to attribute a moral wrong to God. So evil in the sense of moral wrong cannot be attributed to God. But there is moral wrong in the world. So how do we explain it? We explain it by saying God gave the power to other entities to do moral wrong and we explained why. Okay, so it's linked to freedom of choice, which is the purpose of your existence. This is the test, and the test is good. That's one. Now we look at the second meaning of evil, when someone says there's evil in the world. Evil as harm. Same logic. Either we attribute it to God, so we say the harm is done by God, or we say the harm is done by another entity. So, do we say the same thing that we said with the moral wrong and we say, we cannot say that God does harm? No, God does harm. So when we say God does evil, it's possible, it's okay to say that if we mean God harms. Okay, and there's a number of verses and a number of narrations that we can use to explain that. There are, there's a verse, for instance, that the, the people come to the Prophet and they want to blame him. Okay, and the end of the verse says, قُلْ كُلُّمْ مِنْ عَمْدِ They want to say when it's a good thing, that it's from Allah, and when it's a bad thing, it's from you, 
profit. You're making these choices. So whatever is beneficial and whatever is harmful, it's all from Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is openly saying, you can attribute it back to me. I'm the one responsible for the harm and the benefit. Another verse says, نَبْلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرِّ وَالْخَيْرِ And we talked about this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala openly says, I am testing you in things that are harmful and things that are good. And this is where I think people get confused. نَبْلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرِ As an evil, not in the moral wrong, not in the unjust meaning. See? Here, shar is something that is harmful. So we test you with things that are harmful and things that are beneficial. Both of them are a test. But here, clearly, to test you with things that are harmful, it means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing you. Right? So you can attribute it to Allah. The harm is attributable to Allah. <coughs> And then there are a number of narrations too. One of them, Imam Sadiq was asked about, he was asking what do these groups of Muslims believe, what do those groups of Muslims believe, and at some point he says, Al-Khayr wa-Sharr kulluhu min Allah. So everything that is harmful and everything that is beneficial, it's all from Allah. Hulwuhu wa-Murruhu. Sagheeruhu wa-Kabiruhu. So anything that is bitter or sweet is from Allah. And everything that is small or big, everything that is big or small, anything that is bitter or sweet, that you consider harmful or beneficial, it's all from Allah. Okay, so openly the Imams, the Prophets, the attribute and the Holy Quran attribute the harm to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's not the issue. The issue is not the presence or the existence of things that are harmful to us. Okay, so this world is created in a way that has harms, and we can say those harms come from Allah. The second point related to the harms is, are they a moral wrong? And the short answer, and it should be clear by now, they are not a moral wrong. And I, hopefully, inshallah, that's clear. We don't need to spend too much time on it. So this is a distinction between harm and moral wrong. So if, or to prove this whole topic, whether it's for you or with someone else, when you enter the topic of the evil of the world, what we are trying to do is to establish clearly that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not commit injustice in the sense of doing a moral wrong. And two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not act foolishly. Or in other words, does not act randomly, without purpose. If that's established, and it should be clear, if that's established, then the real question is not whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does evil or not. Allah does not do evil if we have reached altogether this point. The real question, and we mentioned it a couple of times before, the real question is, but why is the world created in this way? So the question is not, why is there evil? Or why is there injustice? Or why is there moral wrong? We explained all of those. Okay, We said which ones work and which ones don't. The real question is, why? 
What is the purpose? What is the objective behind these harms in the world? The question is not whether there are harms. We're openly saying there are harms. They are not unjust and they are not foolish. What just happened? Okay, so what we're trying to establish now is to give quick answers. We're going to give four quick answers to explain how there is purpose, the why of these harms. Why are there harms in the world? So now we established there are harms, we can attribute them to God, and every evil in the world cannot fall under the category of injustice, injustice, or foolishness and randomness. But for that to work, then we need a purpose. We need the reason why it's created in this way. Okay? Now, very quickly, we also talked about this. We said the only way for us to prove that there is injustice really being committed is to say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are rights over him, and there, that can never be the case. That's the reason why it cannot be injustice. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator, so he owns every entity absolutely. And the only way to say that there is an injustice being committed is to say, first and foremost, where are the rights coming from? And we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has imposed the right upon himself. So we have to say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is breaking with what he has promised. So we have to show that to show that there is injustice. Or two, we gave a rational reason and we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is punishing without sin. Those are the two reasons we gave. So unless someone can prove that, then we're going to continue. Okay, so these quickly between two brackets. I'm trying to summarize here. So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create this world with harms? Or why is he injecting, including, imposing harms in this world. Four reasons. Reason number one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala harms a creature to test it. And by now that should have been clear. And the test is good. So there is no issue with that. And if you pass the test, and the objective of the test is to get the reward. And the reward is good. So there's no issue with that. So the first reason why there are harms in the world is tests. Short answer. Second reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put harms in place for the benefit of the person being tested. The person being harmed. What do we mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that in my case, I'm going back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm going to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if he tests me with disease. So now there's a specific harm for me. He tests me with poverty. He tests me by the loss of loved ones. 
This is all customized to me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that the way for me to get back to him is through those harms. This is the benefit from the harm. The first case of the harm, the first category of harms, is just a test. There's no benefit. The benefit is automatic. The second one is very intentional. This specific benefit is going to bring this person closer to God. It's not just going to make them more patient and a better person. That's, that goes without saying. That's every test. There's a second category where the test has a specific intention, a specific benefit. Now notice, and here I, I have to add this between brackets, and maybe, maybe we'll answer or explain that more in other lessons because it's getting late. The benefit, the real benefit is never material. The material benefit is secondary and it's part of the tests. So when you're being tested, and we say there's a benefit from the harm, of course there may be benefits from the harm. There's a story we are told, for instance, there's a... We're told in the time of Nabi Dawood salam, someone came to... There's a woman who came to Nabi Dawood salam. He used to sit, he was a judge, and he was a king, and people would come, and they would say, you know, someone committed an injustice against me, and he would rule. So there's this woman who came to Nabi Dawood and she told him, Great King Dawood, Prophet of God, I have a complaint against someone who has committed an injustice against me. And he said, okay, who is it? She said, it's your God. And he told her, how did he commit an injustice against you? And she told him, I'm a widow. I only have these little children. And I have a very simple job that allows me to make just enough money to sustain myself and these children. I take ropes and I make baskets with them. I have these long ropes that I work with. And any profit that I make is enough to sustain us or to buy more ropes to make more baskets. And I was sitting and working and a bird came and he stole one of the long ropes and he flew away. And obviously it's your God who sent that bird so that was an injustice committed against me. I want you to reestablish that justice. Prophet Dawood didn't say anything. At the same time, there's a group of people. He prayed. In the Ruwaya, we are told, Prophet Dawood all he did was to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, show me the truth in this matter. Right after, there's a group of let's call them merchants or businessmen who enter. And they tell Prophet Dawood salam, O great king, we have a matter with you, we're not sure how to deal with it, so we thought the best thing to do is to come to you. It's like, okay. It's like, we are merchants, and we were in, in the middle of the sea. And there's a great storm that came, and it broke our ship. And we started praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to rescue us. But we were sure we we're going to die. And we all did the same prayer together. And we said, we asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if, if He rescues us and we do not die, then we are going to give half of our wealth to whoever rescues us. And they say, but at that time, there's a bird that flew by and he released 
a rope. And we took that rope and we fixed our ship with it. And that's how we survived. So we came because we don't know who to give our half of our wealth to. So we said, let's go just to the king, to this prophet. He's the most just of people and he'll tell us who to give it to. And he told the woman, Prophet Dawood told the woman, this is the unjust God that you were complaining about. You have just received half of the wealth of all of these merchants. The story itself, what does it give us? This is the relative evil that we talked about. But there's an issue with this story. It's a no problem with the, with the authenticity of this story. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that someone could say, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create this world in a way that you have to go through some sort of material loss or sacrifice to gain a material benefit. So even if we can explain the fact that every material loss is only a relative evil, there's always the question of, but why? Couldn't have God created it in another way? And the real answer is because people are concentrating on the material gain and the material loss. When these are not the point. These are secondary. These are just the, the, the end result, the secondary end result of the manner in which this world is created. But the real reason is the spiritual benefit. So when we said, first, the reason for harm may be a test, one. Two, it may be a benefit for the person being harmed. The benefit is spiritual. Don't look at the material benefit. The material benefit is secondary. You may get it and you may not get it. But where there is harm, there's always a benefit that is spiritual to the person being harmed. That's the benefit. Okay? That's two. Second category of why there are harms in the world. Third category. There is a benefit, so I add between two brackets, spiritual benefit. The harm is because there is a benefit to someone else. Example. There's a young child born with a disease and they pass away right away. Harm or no? Harm. Who benefits? Does the child benefit by being tested? No, they're a child. They're not responsible. They're not mature. There's no free choice yet. So the child is not choosing anything. There cannot be a test. One. The second category was what? There can be a benefit, some sort of benefit from being harmed. Is there a benefit here? Can the child somehow spiritually benefit from losing their life in this way? No. Again, because there's no test and there's no choice. And they are an innocent child. So if those two categories don't work, then the third category is what? Benefit to someone else. How? So in this case, let's say it's a child, the benefit is to the parents. Benefit in what sense? That it's a happy time? No. There is a potential spiritual benefit, spiritual gain. 
if you handle yourself in the proper way and you understand that this was a test and you go through the test, there was a spiritual gain, a spiritual benefit. But what's the crime and what's the injustice that is being committed against this child? How do we rectify that? This is where we are told in our religion that there's compensation. Remember the rule that we said, if you are sacrificing for the benefit of someone else, then it's a good thing to be rewarded. Well, we are told that anyone who is harmed in this world is going to be compensated. And we are specifically told, for instance, about children. We are told Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will compensate them until they are satisfied. He will give them until they are happy with what they have received. And this is not just for children, it applies to any entity. And for some reason, my computer just uh, decided to shut down. So the first category we said is, the first category as we said is for an entity to be harmed and the harm is only as a test. One. So that's clear. And obviously the test comes with, uh, obviously the test comes always with, by default, that you grow as an individual. You spiritually gain a higher level. That's one. Two, when you are being tested, when you are being harmed, there is also a specific benefit. That's a second category of why you may be harmed. The third category is what? That someone else is going to benefit from you being harmed. What's the fourth category? The fourth category is that you are being harmed as a punishment. And there are multiple verses in the Qur'an, and there are many, many narrations that openly talk about this, explicitly talk about this. We are told that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala harms people in this world, not tests, not tests for a specific benefit, not so that someone else benefits. He harms people as a result of the wrong actions that they have committed, the sins that they have committed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will harm them. Can we say that this is harm in the sense of injustice? No. Yes? I was just going to say, you also said that the punishment is still a test. And the punishment, so I'm going to get to that. And the punishment is still a test. That's, that was when we explained the rules. But now we're, um, we're explaining, the, now we're explaining the, the applications of the rule. So for instance, when the Holy Qur'an says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to allow people to taste some of the wrongs which they have done by doing what? By allowing corruption to spread on land and in water. Right? ظَهَرَ الْفَسَادُ فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ بِمَا كِسَبَتْ أَيْدِ النَّاسِ لِيُذِيقَهُمْ بَعْضَ الَّذِي عَمِلُوا This is a harm. What's the point of the harm? It's to start tasting your own evils. In another verse, the Qur'an says لِيَضَّرَّعُونَ 
We have not made the towns or the cities go through difficulties and these difficulties we've explained, the loss of people and life, the loss of food, the loss of wealth, so that what? So that they may turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they've become so bad that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to send warnings. You're going in the wrong direction. And in fact, we have in certain, in some of our narrations, we get the impression that a lot of what we encounter as evil in the world actually falls in this category. Now, a point we have not explained yet is that we do not, we have not said, nor do we believe that any of these categories happen on their own. Any of these categories can be mixed with any other category. So is there harm? Yes, there is harm. Is it as a test? Yes. Does it also contain a benefit? Sure. Is there a possibility that there's a benefit in it for someone else? Yes. And you will be rewarded for what you're losing so that someone else may potentially or not benefit. And it, all of that together, in addition to the fact that it may be as a punishment for your own sins in this life to give you a chance to get better and closer to Allah. These are the four categories of harms in the world that are attributable to God. That someone can say, does God cause evil in the world? Well, if it's a moral wrong, then no, not himself. But he may give the power to an entity to do it. And the reason is, the power itself does not automatically mean you're committing evil. You should be able to do good with that. And two, you have every reason to do good with that. And three, that's the purpose of your existence, to be tested with that power, with the freedom to choose with that power and to see what you're going to do. And that in itself is a good, not a bad, not an evil. So that's a problem of the injustice or moral wrong. And the second meaning of evil in the world is things that are harmful. So, if it's harmful and God did it, then it falls under one of those four categories. Because it cannot be an injustice as a moral wrong, and God does not act foolishly and randomly. So it falls under four categories. Either God is testing, because that's the point of our existence, to be tested. Two, either God is testing you and harming you to give you a benefit that you may or may not see. Either the harm is so that some other entity benefits, in which case there's compensation, or it's a punishment for something you have done. These are the four categories of harms that we can attribute to God in this world. The last thing we say, the last group of, of things that we can cover here, are the harms in this world that are what? that are not from God. So here, again, they fall in two categories. So now we said there is moral wrong. Either God does it or not God does it. It cannot be God who does it if it's a moral wrong. It has to be someone else, and they've been given power to do it. We solved that. Second meaning, evil in the world as harm. Either God does it 
or someone else. Can God do it? Yes. If He does, it's not injustice, it's not foolishness. It falls under four categories. Or someone else does it. So here we say either Allah allows, subhanahu wa ta'ala, either Allah allows them to do it or not. Either Allah says you can do it or not. So here's the legislative. Either Allah allows you and says it's okay to do that, and yet there's going to be harm caused as a result, in which case we go back to the four categories we just gave. Or we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you can't do it. You're not allowed to do it. Then the agent is responsible for their own action and they've been given the power to do it. With this, we resolve all the problem, the entire problem of evil in the world. Any evil in the world that you could think of would fall under one of these categories. Now I want to add a couple of things. The first one is, the most we can do, I mean we can detail it a little bit more, we're trying to summarize, we're trying to summarize but be exhausted. So that there is nothing else someone can think of. No scenario that someone can think of. But I'm going to give you a couple. The first one is, we will never be able to know in detail the real purposes from anything. The most we can do is to understand these main principles and come up with a possible explanation through them. It resolves the issue, but it doesn't tell us the true purpose from every act and every evil that we see in the world. We could never do that. Because there are an infinity of causes and reasons all interacting with each other at any given time. Especially if we take into consideration the fact that there's a benefit for someone else. Harm done to one entity that has a benefit for another entity. If you keep that one in mind, it means everything is connected. And who knows who is being harmed or what is being harmed in what way and benefiting another in what way. We'll never know that. Unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us. Okay? That's one point. The second point is we have limited what we have talked about to rational, mature, responsible human beings. If we open this discussion to other entities then it becomes a lot more complex. Because someone may say, so what about an animal being harmed? Well, there are indications in the Qur'an, for instance, there are indications that there are other entities being harmed, let's say. What do we do with that? Why is the world created in a way that this animal is going to get harmed this way or that animal is going to get harmed that way? Beyond just, let's say, little children who are not mature yet. And the short answer is, we have limited our discussion to the mature, responsible human beings. But there are many indications that there is this sort of system that also exists in the world of other living entities. We just don't know it. We just don't understand it. We can't communicate with them and they don't communicate with us. But when you read, let's say, Surah An-Naml, and it talks about, you know, the ant talking and Sulaiman alayhi understanding, or the woodpecker, the hudhud, and he went and he saw 
the queen of Saba, and he came back and he told Nabi Sulaiman that there's a queen with her people who worship the sun. When you understand this, or the verses of the Quran that say that there is no bird, nor other, you know, animal that walks on the earth, except that they are nations like you, or that there is nothing in the world, or the worlds, or the universe, except that it does the praise of Allah, but you do not understand. When you start putting these verses together, and this is just from the Quran, and then you go into the narrations, then that opens a whole new door that can be further explored when we start linking more than just human beings together to talk about the problem of harms and difficulties and evil in the world. So this is if someone wants to basically expand the problem of evil in the world beyond the human world, there is also a lot of potential for that. But we're not going to delve into all of that now. Just to say that it's not a closed door, and there's a lot of work that can be done for that. If someone wants to talk about you know, the evil in the world when it comes to you know, why do so many fish or birds or cattle have to be you know, harmed in the making of this world. Okay? So we're saying all of that is also, there's a lot of possibility to research that, and we have plenty of scriptural whether from their narrations or the Holy Qur'an, evidence that can be used for all of this. Okay? So with this, we have actually completed the topic of the evil in the world in detail with the specific applications that if you were to take any evil in the world that you could think of should fall under at least one, if not more, of these categories because we said you can mix them and match. You can combine Okay, so something may be a, a harm, and it may also be a moral wrong, and the harm may be beneficial to you, and it may be beneficial to someone else, and it may be also the result of a sin or a wrong action that you have done in this world as an individual or as, as a human society. Okay,